Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Transforming 45. I am thrilled today because I have a live human being with me in the studio, which is my favorite way to record. It's great. So this week, I'm so excited to welcome Stephanie Butler to the show. She is a coach, a speaker, and an author. And momentarily, we are going to dive into our conversation. I just, last week, I'd mentioned that I was creeping up on a thousand listens. We're getting that much closer. So for the community and the listeners of the show, I'm so deeply grateful for you showing up, being here, creating space for women's stories, because women's stories are so important. And if you can share it, I would love to be able to get to a thousand listens in the next couple of weeks and be able to celebrate that together as a community. So subscribe, share. The more people are talking and listening about the stories of women's transformation, the more we share that collective knowing that it's time. So with with that, Stephanie, um, I'm so glad that you could be here this week and tell me your story. What brought you to the work that you are doing now? Uh, yes, my story. I, you know, I was always feeling a little less than and that I never fit in and I never got the joke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I found drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. and they really worked for me. Yeah. So when I imbibed either one or both at the same time, I got the joke. Mm -hmm. I felt comfortable in my own skin and, you know, I even could be a little outgoing and really enjoy uh, life but when I wasn't imbibing, drinking, or using drugs, I was riddled with anxiety, riddled in depression, and just feeling less than like everybody, or I was better than everyone. Like I just, there was no gray in my world. It was like I had to be number one, or I, I was just the bottom of the barrel. And... So I, you know, I had many years of fun with friends and the club scene in Toronto, loved it. <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I look back and I'm like, I don't know how I'm alive today. Sometimes. Absolutely. It got a little crazy. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that it didn't. And then I got to a point where it stopped working for me. And what happened was it, it kind of did a 180. So my anxiety went through the roof. My depression went through the roof. I don't know how I was still sort of working at this time. And the last four years of my drinking and using, I have experienced hell on earth. Mm -hmm. I know what it is to be a slave to uh, needing to ingest something in my body to alter the way that I'm feeling because I just didn't know any other way, any other answer. And so this brought me to my knees. Mm -hmm. This brought me to a emotional, mental, physical, spiritual bottom. Um, when I reached out for help and I'm in the helping field, I'm a registered social service worker, been mm -hmm. in that field for over 25 years. 
uh, it was a little bit humbling <laughs> to ask a coworker for help. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I knew all the answers, but I was just so in denial and just so overwhelmed with my situation that I was like, what do I do next? Where do I go? Mm-hmm. And so through many, um, different avenues, my family doctor who knew me since I was about 12 years old, uh, figured out and knew that I was dealing with addiction. Mm -hmm. And so he uh, basically got me into a day program. And that was the beginning of my uh, recovery journey. I say recovery journey because I've chosen abstinence. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been over 20 years now that I've chosen to be abstinent from any mood altering uh, drug or alcohol. Um, And I've remained that way for over 20 years now. And I am so grateful and honored to say that my life has done a 180 again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And why why I can say today that me figuring out that I had an addiction issue was probably one of the greatest things that could ever happen to me was because it changed the whole trajectory of my life. It changed how I conduct myself in my day-to-day living, how I am as a person, how I treat others. Um, is completely different than when I was out there uh, drinking and using. Um, You know, I was not a kind person. Mm -hmm. I was uh, angry, uh, very judgmental, and just tired. Mm -hmm. Tired, just going through the motions. Yeah. I was just surviving. Yeah. Thank you for being so open and vulnerable about that story, because I, I feel like not a lot of women who are not a lot of women in general, but women who are professionals come forward and are really open and transparent about what addiction feels like, how it plays out in their lives. And I think that it's a story that's probably a lot more common than we realize because we live in a world that one encourages addiction in many ways. Absolutely. And it encourages us to not feel. So it feels like a perfect storm of, of course, of course, addiction takes hold because the seeds of that are planted long before our first taste of alcohol in many ways or, or interaction with drugs. I'm interested to know, what do you think the biggest misconception about addiction is? I think we cross a invisible line where we never know we've crossed it into Mm -hmm. addiction. And we think that we're at a point where we can just stop. Right. And then most people get to a point where they're like, I can't live like this anymore and realize it's the drugs and the alcohol that is killing me. But that's the only way I knew how to cope. Mm -hmm. I mean, I 
tried other things, absolutely, but nothing uh, worked as well and as quickly mm-hmm. as substances. And so I think what happens is we think it's an option. We think it's a choice. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other people think it's willpower and it's a choice. Mm-hmm. And then we realize I, I can't not do this. And mm-hmm. I can't stop on my own. Like kudos to you if your story is different and you have stopped on your own. Mm-hmm. I could not. Mm-hmm. It was uh, just could not function. I didn't, you know, I did not know what the next steps would have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So interestingly, when you and I first connected, I had been, I was reading Matthew Perry's book. Mm. Have you read that? No. So it helped me understand what happens to brains that are where addiction takes hold. So in, in some of the first chapters, he talks about his first experience and how when he had his first drink, when you were talking about um, you got the joke, mm-hmm. it made me think about that. Cause he's like, when I had my first drink, all of a sudden I was like, Oh, the sky is blue. Oh, the sky's blue. Oh, that's why that's funny. It was a very similar reaction in what I was reading in his words. And I think that is something that we don't talk about enough as a society, right? That every brain is different. And some brains, when those chemicals enter, it is like unlocking a door. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I always give the analogy, uh, one of my clients, again, I've worked in mental health for over 25 years and addiction. And one of my clients uh, has um, bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And so when he ingests cocaine, he can sit down and watch a movie or read a book. Mm Mm-hmm. Without the cocaine, he can't think straight. He can't sit for two hours, an hour and a half to watch a movie and actually know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Hit, that chemical works in his brain. He's addicted to it because mm-hmm. he's used it so many times because it helps him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what I tell folks is like, if you don't have that addiction, if you use, say, cocaine, you're going to feel like you're on speed mm-hmm. and you're going to be zooming around and, you know, and then it will dissipate and, you know, you'll be like, whoa, mm-hmm. I don't think I'll try that again, mm-hmm. you know, but somebody who it works for, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's not to get high. No. It's to regulate and to function mm-hmm. on some level. And that's when I talk about crossing that invisible line. We don't know when we do that. And then it becomes the only life that we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is something that's really important because when you were talking earlier about, you know, some people just think it's a matter of willpower. It's not that at all. It's, no. it's you know, this chemical is actually performing chemistry in your brain that is making it better, easier for your life to function. And the difficulty is when you cross that line of constantly needing more and more and more and more, I think I'm not going to get the numbers right because it's been a little while, but he was having to take 48 Vicodin a day. Yeah. 
48. Wow. And one less, and he would start to feel withdrawal symptoms, which are painful, like physically, physically painful, and Mm -hmm. you can't function either. So that is, that's the issue with that brain chemistry is that it's constant, it's going to constantly need more to feed it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you cross another line where it stops working. Mm -hmm. You, you know, I couldn't get drunk anymore and I couldn't be, didn't know how to be sober. And it was like, you know, like, so you're just drinking and no effects are happening. And so you're, you're just, you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And, and that's when most people reach out for help. That's when most people realize this is not working for me, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think, you know, denial is a huge part of this disease, this illness where the only life that I knew was drinking and drugging for so many years. I can't imagine my life without it, Mm -hmm. but I can't imagine living this life anymore. And until you get to that point, you're going to keep going Mm -hmm. and doing what you know, Mm -hmm. even though it's destroying you and killing you and you're living in hell and it's horrible. That's what you know how Mm -hmm. to do to survive. And, and because I was in the field, I think I knew that window door, whatever you want to call it opened. And I was like, that's going to slam shut real soon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to forget that I need help. I'm going to go back into denial. Right. I need, I need to scream out loud right now and tell as many people as I can. Like, I need help. I need help. I need help. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, And I I still was willing to get the help and do whatever was asked of me Mm -hmm. because I knew the gig was up that Mm -hmm. I, I had no more plans. I could not continue the way that I was living because it was absolutely against every moral fiber of my being of who I was becoming. Right. The lines that I was crossing in the sand were getting, you know, it was like, well, and then I'd cross that line. Mm. Well, I haven't, well, yet, always add yet Mm -hmm. to the story. And, you know, I think it was probably about nine months. I had not looked in the mirror. Wow. And then it was probably another six to eight months after I got some help that I could finally look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you, what did you see when you looked in the mirror that first time? I just saw a real sick person who was getting help finally. Mm -hmm. Before then, I thought I was uh, deviant. I thought I was um, just a really evil kind of person. Mm. And the shame and guilt of just who I'd become. Um, And again, I, I was in denial and believed that this, I was choosing all of this. I mean, I was on some level, I take full responsibility for my actions, Mm -hmm. but I was not sane. Mm -hmm. I was not thinking clearly most of the time. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, intoxicated on some level. And so my reality was not most people's reality of how I was seeing. It was very distorted. And, you know, you come up, you become only almost sociopathic in the sense of, 
you, I had isolated myself mm-hmm. completely from everybody and anybody. Um, I was, I used to be like, let's go to the club. Let's party. Let's have a good time. I had tons of friends and here I was wearing my pajamas, walking down the street to get a pack of cigarettes and my, my booze and getting back to my place and locking myself up and just completely isolated. And all I could think about was how was I going to keep myself intoxicated all, all Mm. day long. And I didn't care what I had to do to, to get it. And that is scary, mm-hmm. scary stuff. Yeah. And I got to the point where I feel like I had three options. And those three options were get help, kill myself, or keep going to the bitter end, which I never... Um, did heroin and I never injected needles, but that that's was my plan. Right. I don't like needles to mm-hmm. this day. I'm still terrified of needles. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that was a saving grace, but I knew that I would have to probably work for some folks who uh, were not good people and right. that I would, they could inject that for me. Right. Uh, so that I could then be so uh, in oblivion that I wouldn't be thinking about what I'd have to do to keep getting oblivion. So those are my three options. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. That's um, something I'd never, something I'd never considered for, I have not been through an addiction cycle. And so that thought of, I need to be so not in my body that I can continue doing this is really pow- it's really powerful yeah. into how difficult it would be to take that first step out. Yeah. And the shame that as a culture we build around people who have addiction it it almost like creates a barrier. Absolutely. Mhm. I mean, I, you know, even when I was getting help, I thought I should just kill myself because I'm such a burden. Mm. I felt they'll get over it. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just a pain in the ass. Anyhow, mm-hmm. people would be better off without me. And that's where I was. That's where I was at. And, um, you know, I share this story because for me, Um, I see that spirit God source was working Mm -hmm. my life, even when I wasn't, uh, connected. Um, I had two cats at the time I was living in my parents' basement. They took me back. I knew I needed to get out of Dodge Mm -hmm. and, and my two cats came up to me like, I was literally sitting on the couch and thinking how, and I made the plan of how I was going to kill myself. This was me waiting to get into treatment. Right. Right. I'm still taking some pills to sleep at night, but I'd stopped using everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, okay, so my dad will find me in the shower. They'll get over it. That's what I got to do. And I felt some relief, like, oh, it's all going to be over. Yeah. Like felt mm-hmm. good, you know? And then my cats came up at the exact same time and sat on my lap. And my, <laughs> I laugh because it's just insanity. My thought turned to, well, that would be really irresponsible to leave your cats 
Mm. You mm-hmm. can't do that. Right. And so I obviously I'm alive, so I didn't go through with that plan. But like, that's how spirit works in my life. Like mm-hmm. knew <clears throat> that I was raised so conscious about hard work ethic and you, you take care of your own and you, you know, right. you do what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And this is how it was presented to me. Right. And because that was was a story you could hear, that was a familiar neural pathway that you could access. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I laugh and, you know, I have a tattoo of those two babies on my foot and I'm like, Mm -hmm. they saved my life. I saved theirs. Yeah. And then they in return saved mine, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So for me, spirit, God works in very funny, mysterious ways. And, uh, you know, one second I'm going to kill myself. The next is, how irresponsible like <laughs> come on I'm about to kill myself and I'm thinking maybe my cat is irresponsible yeah hmm. not thinking too clearly mm-hmm. but you know something was looking out for me mm-hmm. absolutely so was that your first so you you said that you were clean you were mostly clean at that point yeah. but was that the first real step toward healing I think so I you know for me to admit I needed help to uh, you know my doctor to another professional and to agree to going to get that help i felt i did feel the shame and guilt but i i um i felt like i was going to be okay if i just followed the instructions if i just did what people were telling me okay because everything i had done up to that point was not working not good Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I had no more plans. Yeah. And I thank God for that mm-hmm. because I, you know, would always come up with some makeshift plan of how I would get more money, how I would just, just, you know, they'll lay off if I just, you know, da, 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 and next thing you know, I'm in my next jackpot. Right. And I'm living in hell chasing the next, you know, use. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the beginning. And I, I did a, it was an, eight week program. They let me do it twice. Okay. Cause I was so, so unwell. Mm-hmm. I was so befogged. I could not retain anything because of the withdrawal and just, it was so surreal. Just so surreal. you're sitting in therapy or sitting in group in treatment and you're like, how did I get here? Right. You know, like nobody, you know, nobody expects to be there mm-hmm. ever. And And so for me, you know, that built the foundation that I needed and, um, and for me, I realized that I was searching my entire life out there, outside of me for the answer. Mm -hmm. And all I do is become addicted to that thing outside of me, whether Mm -hmm. it's shopping, food, drugs, money, sex, whatever it is to make me feel different than the way I'm feeling, I will never get enough of it Mm -hmm. because it's only instant gratification. And then I'm back feeling the way that I felt. Right. So for me, it was an inside job. And so the last 20 plus years, um, and looking back now, it's always hindsight. You Mm -hmm. know, I was always searching for a spiritual belief, a faith, a whatever you want to call it. But I, 
I was so resistant to it that I, I never fully appreciated it. And I mean, I was raised atheist, like not mm-hmm. too many people are, but I was. And so I was taught if you want anything done right, kid, do it yourself. Don't depend on anyone. And so that was my motto. Mm-hmm. Great motto, eh? Mm-hmm. And, and so these last 20 years, my spirituality came first. Right. And so for me, it's source, it's God, it's creator, whatever language you want to use um, is what keeps me here and keeps me feeling whole. Mm-hmm. Because before I had a hole in my soul. Yes. And nothing will fill that. It might fill it for 30 seconds, might fill it for a day, half a day, depending on what that thing is, you know, but outside material things will always lead me to wanting more of whatever that is. And with, with spirituality, I, I have this knowing this feeling, this deep connection with spirit. I know I'm going to be okay, no matter what. I feel that I can trust myself to lead me to source to help me have the strength and courage to get through whatever is in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I feel whole. Mm-hmm. I feel connected before, you know, it, I was, it, it's put that we separate ourselves from the whole. And therefore that's all I could think about was like, I'm different. Nobody understands me. I don't get the joke. What, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And that's all I could see and focus on. And so when I imbibed drugs and alcohol, it worked for me. And it was like, aha, yeah. I feel like me. Now I don't need those things. I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am a child of spirit. I am here having a human experience because I, I'm a keener, mm-hmm. chose this. <laughs> and And I'm here to help others on their journey. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to, you know, raise the collective unconsciousness. Right. I'm here to add love, self-compassion, kindness into the world. Mm -hmm. And because I'm a reflection of spirit. Right. I align my soul with spirit energy. And this is why I'm here. Mm Mm-hmm. And I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Well, so as we've been speaking, the word surrender keeps rolling around in my head. It's that, and when you talked about the two sort of foundations that you were brought up on Mm -hmm. of atheism Mm -hmm. and which led to, you know, you have to do this on your own. Mm -hmm. Those are, those are foundations of most of the systems in our world. Yeah. Right. Like, so most people can relate to that because we are taught that believing is a weakness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's such interesting. There's such interesting dichotomy because there's so many deeply religious norms that are woven into our society, but we are taught to not trust Yes. Right. It's and it's what is such a mind fuck in so many ways, because, yeah, like our whole society is built on a religious foundation. Yeah. 
but religion and spirituality are not the same, are not the same thing. And I think that's where so many people find themselves searching, wondering, and questioning because they're in a place of, but this is the myth that my whole identity was built on, but it doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I find that in organized religions, it's still part of our larger society where it's telling you you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. You're not doing this right, or you're not doing that right. So again, I have a hole in my soul. I'm not good enough. I'm not fitting in. I'm not being, uh, you know, mm-hmm. good, like just well. And something else that you just said triggered in me. It also isn't it. It's that external control, right? Like, so many foundations of traditional religion of you either go to heaven or hell, right? The final judgment, that is a huge mechanism of control that takes everything outside of you. Yeah. Right. And I, that is not everyone's experience. I know that. And, And that is not, you know, I grew up in an Anglican tradition. Uh, I worked at an Anglican church camp, my whole life, my kids still do now. And it was interestingly, that camp that taught me actual spirituality, and in and looking internally, mm-hmm. and that it is not we, we are should not be looking outside of ourselves. Yeah, that the message is love. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really important to see that to know that you will be searching forever if you are looking for something outside of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just have, I guess people call that faith. I call it grace Mm -hmm. that I know no matter what I'm okay. Right here, right now. Yeah. And in any second that you ask and connect with yourself and with spirit and ask, do I need anything? The answer is no. Mm-hmm. You need absolutely nothing because you're whole and perfect and enough the way you are. Mm-hmm. And I think the human experience teaches us to forget that all the time that you're okay, you're perfectly whole. And, you know, like mm-hmm. because everywhere we're being told your teeth aren't white enough. You're not tall enough. You're not thin enough. You're not short enough. You're not chubby enough. You're not, you're not, Mm -hmm. not, so that will buy stuff. Right. So when you hear that all day, every day, Uh and every part of society tells us that on whatever level it is that they're trying to get you to believe in, how can you not think that on Uh some level? Uh And, and, and a lot of folks I know who have kind of, been through addiction and um, are living in recovery, we say that spirituality is for those who have lived hell on earth. Mm. We don't need religion Mm -hmm. because I've already been to hell. Right. Yeah. And now on the flip side, I've been to heaven. Mm -hmm. I know what heaven on earth is. Mm -hmm. And so I see miracles. I see, um, you know, uh, my intuition leads me to where I need to be going. The answers are out there if you're open to seeing them. Mm -hmm. And I'm always guided 
And so to me, that is heaven on earth because I know like I'm at peace. I know what serenity is where I never had that in my life before Mm -hmm. ever, unless, you know, I was high as a kite. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Unless it was chemically induced, you know, I don't, I don't need that anymore. And and so when you are connected to spirit, mm-hmm. you're whole. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to look outside myself for the Mercedes or the mm-hmm. Honda, whatever floats your boat, whatever car, you mm-hmm. know, it's not going to fix me. Right. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. That's not where your worth ever comes from. No. Um, so I'm thinking about there's there's a wound, right? There's a There is a wound that drugs and alcohol was covering for you. Mm-hmm. So just thinking from the perspective of somebody who might be listening, who maybe is in a place of having a wound and it might be, it could be a whole host of things, right? You yeah. talked about, it. it could be shopping. It could be scrolling on our phones for so many of us. And I will include myself in that because I go down that rabbit hole oh, as yeah. well. Right. We, so. we do the, like the scrolling addiction because it's and it's outward, right? So it yep. takes, it, it's the strange, again, intersection of it takes a huge amount of energy because when I'm scrolling and looking at those things, I'm observing someone else's life and having thoughts about it when I could be using that energy inward, but it feels like more work to do that inward work than to, than to look outward. So what is the bridge that can happen for people to start letting the wound come forward so that that healing can happen? Yeah. I think, you know, we can't change anything that we don't acknowledge and as scary as it is to admit and surrender to the fact that you're not doing well and you know, Oh crap, I have an addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody wants to say that out loud. It's going to be the most freeing spot that you could be in. It's going to be terrifying. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it and tell you it's going to be amazing. Um, It's going to be scary as heck. Mm -hmm. But once we admit the problem, once we can say it out loud, and even if you're just saying it out loud to you and to the universe, that's the first step. And Mm -hmm. we need to trust your gut, trust that you already know what you need to do or who you need to talk to. And for me, it was like, I was calling the professionals. I'm in, you know, the business of Mm -hmm. helping people. Uh, And so I was like, all right, I'm going to call so-and-so. I'm going to talk to my coworker, you know, and, and I just called everybody and anybody. And I received the support, the help that I needed. And I trusted it. Right. And I needed to do the complete opposite of what I have been doing my entire life. Right. And that's scary stuff Mm -hmm. because it's the unknown. It's uncomfortable. And it's like, what's on the other side of all this? Mm -hmm. Who am I? What am I doing? You know, but we can't do any of this on our own. You need to get support, whether that's treatment, treatment, 
what there's 12 step meetings. There are counselors. You could do one-on-one if you don't want to go into a group setting. There are, you know, there's just so many ways out there to get support. And, you know, I, you know, for me, the answer is spiritual. Mm -hmm. For me, if you had any connection in your life or any belief, start connecting with that belief. Like, is it the universe? Is it creator? Is it God? Is it whatever label you use? Start asking for help there. Mm -hmm. And, and just see, you know, where, where that leads you. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, it's asking for help. And I think that's one of the top three things, which is the hardest thing for a human being to do. Yeah. And it, the word surrender is coming up for me again, because it is that surrender to you, you let go of control, right? Where so much of addiction is your work to control absolutely everything that's happening in your, in your space. And we abandon our physical bodies because it's too painful to be in there. And control is the only sense that we have. And so surrendering that control and saying, I'm going to give this over to you for a little while. Right. You know, we talk about that internal, yes, internal motive, internal locus of control and listening to that internal voice. And sometimes until that voice, there's healing starting to happen. We do need to ask for help and say, please show me the way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need, I can't do this right now. I, please help me to get to do this thing. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I'll challenge that, you know, I thought I had control. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was not controlling anything. Yeah. Alcohol and drugs had a complete control on me. Mm -hmm. And that's, I was a slave to it. That's the hell that you're living in right now. Whether you're a slave to gambling, gaming, sugar, coffee, shopping, whatever it is, it's, it can be put aside. And I, you know, for me, I needed to replace it with a connection with Mm -hmm. source. Mm -hmm. I needed to go to that place because it's an inside job. I, because I can put down the alcohol, I can put down the drugs, but then I can pick up something else everything yeah. else absolutely and that's not what we want no they might be a little less it's harm reduction approach of less uh you know impeding on my physical body but you know uh still don't want to go down that road and and just know that there's a lot of folks out there who have surrendered have asked for the help And, you know, I'm not, I'm not living in that hell anymore. I'm not there. And I'm not, I'm not claiming that everything's peachy clean and super awesome right now. It's not all rainbows and lollipops. (laughs) Life still happens. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't need to get messed up over any of it, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've learned like, you know, that saying, and I say this all the time, it takes a village, Mm -hmm. you know, from birth to death. 
not just a child. We need it. Like I've never, uh-huh. you know, and I've said this over and over. I've never been a 48 year old woman on Wednesday, April the 19th. Uh-huh. I've never done it before. Uh-huh. I might need to ask for a little bit of help today. Yeah. Right. Cause there's no manual. There's no script. There's no, Hey, this is what you do. I, we're all figuring this out as we go along uh-huh. and it takes a village. And that's okay to meet the village. Mm-hmm. We're actually wired to meet the village. Absolutely. Right? And it is this culture of isolation that is contributing to that, to the pain of separation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Separation from source, separation from the earth, separation from each other, which is, you know, <laughs> COVID like brought it took all of that and put it very plainly in front of us. Yeah. Right. And then people started building habits that fostered separation. And so I think that this is a really important conversation to be having at this point in time, because coming back into community and finding our way back to each other is some of the key work that is necessary at this point in history. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I work in the field um, and everybody is just talking about how their anxiety levels are through the roof and they never had anxiety before. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, I can catch myself where, uh, where my full-time gig at work, my corporate job, I used to have to wear a mask. We don't anymore. Mm -hmm. And I go to work and I'm like, Oh, I feel like I've committed mm-hmm. something against the law because I'm not wearing my mask or I'm, you know, I'm not six feet away from people. Mm-hmm. And so we've gotten this two and a half years of conditioning happening. And now we have to go back to, no, we, we like people. Yeah. <laughs> we want to be around people. Yes. I know it felt safe mm-hmm. and secure in your little tiny bubble, mm-hmm. but that is not any way for anyone to live. No, we, it's- yeah. So unhealthy. Yeah. And we are seeing, we're seeing the repercussions of this. I mean, I, we talked about it. I, I, it's my second podcast record today and there's some, some beautiful intersection. Um, so I'm also thinking about the conversation I had earlier. Um, but the learning, the, that pain, that deep pain of separation where it, it feels like safety, but it's really not. And now I believe we are only beginning to see the repercussions oh, yeah. of, of all of that isolation. Oh. So we feel, I remember, <laughs> I think back to the early days. Oh, we were so naive in the early days of the pandemic. And yeah. I thought, I thought there would be a day where all of a sudden, like all the restrictions would be lifted all at the same time. And there would be this sense of celebration and we would be so grateful to be back with each other, with the people that we loved again. And that's not what happened. (laughs) It's not even close to what happened because of the ever shifting nature and gradual shifts and changes. It just shifted who we were rather than giving us an opportunity to really consider, but who do we want to be and how do we want to show up in the world after this? Yeah. Yeah. And I had, I was really hopeful at the beginning that we would come out of it better and that hasn't happened yet. No, I I think it's shifted 
mm-hmm. and raised mm-hmm. a few folks on the right path mm-hmm. of yeah. of getting some support and and getting help and realizing okay all those coping skills that i had which i couldn't use because of covid really weren't that healthy mm-hmm. really weren't great coping mechanisms yeah. so what can i do going forward to help me not feeling great about where i'm at in life or mm-hmm. feel okay in my own skin and you know i think we're getting to a place where we can talk about mental health and addiction a Mm -hmm. little bit more i think there's still huge ignorance out there because of how it's portrayed on uh, social media and television Mm -hmm. and all those things we're still like the 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 humor Mm -hmm. the you know like oh betty's right drinking again oh and it's funny no it's it's tragic Mm -hmm. it's absolutely tragic and um and that's i think more of those conversations are happening Mm -hmm. and people are feeling safe to talk about it a little bit more um you know and it's generational because if you use the word anxiety people are like i don't have anxiety and you're like Mm -hmm. you point out all these things well i just worry a little bit right it's like yeah. okay well okay. you have worry you have worry issues <laughs> yeah well, let's call it that, call it that. yeah <laughs> and let's look at some coping mm-hmm. so that you don't have to worry so much mm-hmm. you know so it's 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 a lot of folks who um you know we were raised just pull up your bootstraps right suck it up buttercup and mm-hmm. get on with it mm-hmm. yeah you got stuff to do yeah yes <laughs> it's like Keep calm and carry on. It's just not working. It's not working for (laughs) me. (laughs) I think the area that I do have hope in, however, and I hope that it sort of has percolated in this conversation as well, is that it feels really turbulent right now because that is what happens at the beginning of a healing journey. And I feel collectively we are at the beginning of a healing journey. Yeah. And that's the that's the scariest time. It's the most turbulent time. And it brings all of the things that were hiding in the shadows up to the surface. Yeah. yeah. And I think collectively, that's what we're seeing right now is all of the things that were latent in the shadows, or not even just latent, we were intentionally covering yeah. so that we didn't actually have to do the healing around it. It's now all coming to the surface, which is deeply painful and hard in this moment. And I believe that it's necessary to move forward in a more deeply connected way. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that, you know, collective unconscious that I spoke about Mm -hmm. is there's going to be some empathy. People who might have been a little bit more judgmental with mental health now see mm-hmm. themselves on that spectrum and going oh mm-hmm. oh now i maybe understand what you know yeah. sally was dealing with mm-hmm. all these years and and i i just hope that the these types of conversations continue to happen i hope that we, you know, we talk about allyship, you know, that we can become allies. And so when we're mm-hmm. hearing those kinds of conversations where it's like, well, Eddie was just hammered. It was hilarious. And it's like, 
Mm-hmm. Most people don't get hammered mm-hmm. when they're that age. Right. And at the family barbecue. Mm-hmm. I hope Eddie's okay. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and making space for those kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, not comfortable, not what people want to talk about, mm-hmm. but I think more of us are talking about it. Mm-hmm. And is this some of the work that you're doing in your coaching work? Yes. I mean, I, I meet people where they're at Mm -hmm. and whatever you need space for me to hold a container, a safe container to work through. And I ask questions that maybe you've never posed Mm -hmm. to yourself Mm -hmm. and have folks looking at their situations a little bit of a different way. Um, it's not just addiction. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, this isn't working for me in my life. I don't know what is next or, you know, I need more coping skills because of this X, Y, and Z or, you know, um, and that's what I'm seeing. Our folks are, you know, seeing that I want something different in my life because this has not been working Mm -hmm. for a long time. And now I'm fully seeing how this is really not working for me. Mm-hmm. And like we spoke about earlier, na- naming it out loud mm-hmm. is how we start to change things. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of courage to ask for that help and, and to say, you know what, I'm committed to my growth journey. Yes. I am committed to being a better version of myself because I feel that deep inside. I want to become who I've always meant to be. Yes. Not easy stuff. No. And like you said, we're, we are collectively at that. Mm-hmm. I'm so uncomfortable mm-hmm. stage, but that's when we know we're out of our comfort zone and growth Mm-hmm. is possible it's happening yes yes yeah yeah what you said about saying it out loud is so interesting because I, I do very similar work with clients and when they say the thing that they've been holding on to for so long my next question always is and how does that feel in your body because when we release that thing we've been holding on to so tightly, there is a bodily, there is a physical reaction because it is an energetic release. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that energetic release is something that we have been missing and is the key. And I heard it in your story many times, right? Where you accepted, asked for help surrendered to that help and all of that energetic release starts leading to healing. Absolutely. And it's when we're in it and saying it out loud, we take away the power Mm -hmm. of that as well, because when we're just ruminating about it in our head, we make it thousands of times bigger than it actually is. And when we say it out loud, it's like, oh, that wasn't as scary or as big as I thought it was once it went across my mouth, you know, mm-hmm. across my lips. And in, in CBT, cognitive behavioral theory, they say, if you can name it, you can tame it. Yes. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's why I love 
there's so many modalities, there's so many different ways to support folks. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a matter of finding what vibes with you, yes. what works for you. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, I get to try different things on for folks, mm-hmm. home practice, try this, let's try that, let's try this, and see what they're relating to and what makes them see a little shift. Yes. You know, and then we, okay, this is the direction we go in. Mm-hmm. And we all have the answers within. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of clearing away some stuff. Mm-hmm. So some that you stories, know how to access it. Some stories that we've been believing for a long time that aren't absolutely true to then hear mm-hmm. that intuition, to hear what what is the next right thing for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That was a very fast hour. Sure was. (laughs) Thank you for being here, for sharing your story, for being so courageous and open. Uh, I think I say it in almost every episode, women's stories and voices matter. The more we see each other in each other, the more we know that we are not alone. And that's how we start healing that separation. So thank you. And in the show notes, as always, will be all of the links for how to find and work with Stephanie and oh, as always, how to find and work with me and um, big love, everybody. Thank you. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.